0: Apart from this sense of curiosity that I've always had, I've recognised in myself there's this spirit of wanting to help others, support others to fulfil their potential. I've always had this belief that everyone has a gift, has a talent, and it can change not necessarily the world, but certainly the people in their world.
1: How do we encourage more people to accept help when it's offered and ask for help when it's needed? That's a big question that this week's guest, Difference Maker, Ashley Wisiskin, is focused on answering. With a successful career that spanned branding, marketing and startups, in early 2022, Ashley was diagnosed with lymphoma, and a rare autoimmune hemolytic disease that required months of debilitating chemotherapy. This led to a life-changing and transformative experience. From being self-reliant and independent, he was suddenly helpless, requiring the help of others. This led to the realisation that accepting help is a gift, since you give the chance for the help giver to experience joy and pride and the feel-good factor of supporting someone they care about. Ashley is now on a mission to change our perceptions of asking for help, transforming help rejectors to help receivers. In doing so, he aims to enable people to realise that accepting help has a life-changing impact not only on their own livelihood but also those who offer them help ashley is now working to offer practical tools to change mindsets and motivate us all to help yourself by helping each other now over to ashley ashley welcome to the impossible network
0: it's great to be here mark thanks for inviting me and where are you on this fine friday uh i am in amsterdam it is uh sort of quite tropical heat but uh Slightly overcloud, over, overcast, but um, yeah, enjoying my time here.
1: Delightful, right? Well, now, well, we've established in the intro what you do, uh, so let's really get started um, with some funda- fundamental questions about you. Who are you as a human being?
0: Um, I always find this a fascinating question, and it's something I I'm never very that comfortable with answering. So actually, I thought I'd reveal an exercise I did recently where I've asked other people, like, how am I seen? And uh some of the characteristics they often refer to are brave, curious, adventurous, loyal, generous. I hope they weren't necessarily being so generous and just uh, mm-hmm. being uh, very nice to me. But I, I think that's a fair description. But if I reflect upon it myself, I think one of the defining characteristics i have is this sense of being constantly curious curious about human behavior why we do what we do think what we think feel what we feel uh i always feel like i have this instinct to challenge the status quo um though also i think another self-observation is i'm often a contradiction so (laughs) i have this odd mix of valuing tradition like as ingredients for identity and culture, but often challenge the rules, convention, and, and the status quo. Um,
1: yeah. I mean, that leads into the second question is, well, who made you or what made you you? And there's particularly that curiosity. I mean, you will we'll probably touch on it, get into the fact that you've worked in creative industries all your life, which uh, you can't get very far in that industry without being curious. Um, but also challenging convention as well. Maybe you could just reflect on the impact of those in your life, whether it be parents, grandparents, siblings, mentors, that nurtured that aspect of uh, curiosity.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll reflect on that. I mean, I think well the most significant uh influence on my life, I'd have to admit, is I, I lost my mother in our sleep when i was five years old and this has influenced me in many ways as i've increasingly become self-aware and a number of influences would be i've realized that it's made me feel different just not like your normal kid Hmm. and i realized that growing up my coping mechanism was to become very independent i never really relied on anyone um I grew up in London, proudly took the tube to school, which in the late seventies, early eighties was was quite a an adventure, let's say. Um, started a newspaper round when I was ten years old, went on holiday with mates, left home, started a job as soon as I possibly could. And the other influence I think of uh of losing my mother when I was younger is this developed a really strong bond with my brother. And I think we'd fairly say we are each other's best friends, closest counsel, advisors, mirrors. And, you know, apart from my partner, I'd say he knows me best and vice versa. Um, and I'll try and bring this around to curiosity in the sense of, yeah, I grew up in, I'd recognize a bubble. It was a very traditional environment. It was, jewish northwest london and i reflect back now that i think that this was a bit of a bubble for me and i always had this curiosity this instinct to break out from it and explore to experience life in different ways different cultures different influences and yeah i mean i've, I've traveled whenever i could i think i've been to over 80 countries i've lived in four different cities so london sydney madrid and amsterdam and yeah i i've acknowledged that in myself as being this sense of yeah explore being
1: curious and wanting to experience um, other things you're saying losing your mother at age five must have been just the impact on any child must have been dramatic to say the least Presumably you had around you, your brother, your father, um, and, and probably a network of other family members to sort of give you that sense of reassurance and love. But you said you've always felt a little bit different because of that. How did that sort of loss get, build you a sense of sort of independence, um, and strength and resilience and where you and did Well, maybe my question is, did other people recognize that in you, that you were somewhere sort of sitting outside the norm?
0: So I don't think I consciously developed that coping mechanism to be self-reliant and independent. Mm-hmm. I What I think now I look back is that I recognize myself as being different and then proudly went about my life that way. So whilst everyone else might be getting lifts to school, I was happy to take the tube. You know, whilst everyone else might be lying in bed before school, I'd be happy going out and doing newspaper round, that type of thing. And it'll be, I'd have to go and ask the people as to, people in my world during that time, did they see me as this independent go-getter type kid Mm. or that was just Ashley being different? So... Yeah, I wouldn't say I developed it consciously as a characteristic or as a coping mechanism. But now, certainly recently, having done a lot of work, shall we say, on the influences of my past on the Ashley of today, Mm. I've recognized a lot of that. And as we'll get into now, my passion project, I can even more closely identify that as being a massive influencing behavior on who I am today, but also recognizing that at times, it served me, but at other times,
1: it hasn't. I touched on the fact that you worked in the creative industries. In those early years, did you have ambitions? Or was that curiosity driving you um, in a certain direction in those sort of, uh, formative school, school years? Um, it's, it's funny because,
0: well, not so much in terms of primary school, but more in teenage years, I'd always had this fascination with well advertising per se as in ads Mm. i would always you know i think you and i grew up maybe during that heyday of like where ads were talking points as much as the actual tv content and i think that that curiosity and that instinct evolved to a point of trying to understand more as like well why did people prefer nike versus adidas you know or bmw versus mercedes or you know fosters versus castle made forex mm-hmm. they're the same thing yeah. so why that was my curiosity that was my not just accepting world it is what it is and this then led to yeah i've in quite a young age took on and well i didn't took on I get this is my perseverance this is my independence instinct went out to find contacts that could help me get a job before I finished school. So through work experience, I ended up working in a media company and yeah, maintained that contact with my first ever boss, got a job before university, then went to university, studied psychology, actually ended up doing a, my dissertation was on gender stereotyping in children's advertising, which wow. I reflect back on. Yeah. is So we're talking, yeah, nearly 30 years ago, thinking now, Ash, that was quite,
1: yeah, advanced, ahead to, yeah,
0: ahead of its time, yeah. Ahead of its time. I'm not sure if it still uses a reference source in other um, academic studies, but yeah, then that led to, uh, yeah, this career that I've had in branding and, and advertising and marketing, which, yeah, reflects that curiosity mm-hmm. as to, yeah, there's not something so tangible about why do we react so passionately and pertinently to that type of branding
1: strategy. For, yeah, and you worked in agencies like Grey and BBH. Interesting brands. <laughs> uh, yes,
0: and actually, I suppose going back to that point of my of being, having sort of this uh, sense of not contradictions, but they are mm-hmm. very different advertising brands. Yeah, Grey, I recognised, and massively appreciated learning the fundamentals of advertising. It was a very traditional agency, had blue chip clients. So you really learned and crafted your skills. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate that environment. And interestingly, I now look back on this sense of community that it had. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, even now 30 years or 25 years after the event, I'm still in touch with people. And I think that was a, it's only a testimony as to the type of people that work there. And then BBH. I saw at the time and I think still now is like one of the, the pioneers of creativity, yeah. doing things differently, constantly evolving, constantly growing, constantly pushing, good is never good enough. And it was a, a yeah, wonderful next step of my career to really appreciate, not perfectionism, but the potential of really doing impactful work, cultural change work. And really tapping into the zeitgeist um, and working with extraordinarily talented people. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Is it interesting when you talk about it? It's how, I just wonder now. I mean, I haven't worked in the big agency for 10 years, literally to the month. And I just wonder how it's changed in terms of just the things you were talking about the community, the, the craft, the training. I wonder now, you know, how, what it's like. If you were to go back now, you'd be able to sort of see the the difference in the industry. I'd be vastly
0: curious and, Mm. you know, we'll probably get onto it. But this is where also I'm drawing on that experience of my time in my career as to how this concept of help could really improve the team culture, the creativity, the productivity the sense of collaboration
1: Mm-mm. so yeah well let's yeah, well let's do that let's jump into what you're working to achieve before you shuffle off this mortal coil and <laughs> uh, it's a, 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 a very uh sort of, a, sort of a relevant uh um quote from hamlet uh, given what's occurred to you in uh, your life that's taking you on this very dramatic life pivot um and so I should say that in 2022, you're that dramatic turn. Um, this was related to, um, a lymphoma, a lymphoma. Uh, perhaps you could just share that experience and discuss why set you on the path you're on now.
0: Yeah. So a year and a half ago, I was admitted to hospital with life threateningly low blood levels. And leading up to that time, I'd had some curious symptoms, but nothing I could really explain. So it and, was. And being a very competitive cyclist as well. Uh, yeah, I don't know how competitive, but certainly passionate. I'm your classic mammal that, uh, has been this term being called middle aged man and lycra. But yeah, I, I love it. So I cycle about 12,000 kilometers a year. So as you're rightfully pointing out, I had a, a great understanding of my body. So, when symptoms and feelings I couldn't explain, this was sort of mini red flags. And yeah, woke up one morning with unexplained bruises on my body, uh, blood blisters in in my mouth, uh, red dots on my tongue. And it was an extraordinary sensation of I didn't look, I didn't feel as bad as I looked, Mm -hmm. but clearly the body was going alarm bells. Warning sign, yeah. Yeah. And. I went to hospital, but not in a state of panic, more of a state of this is what my GP or my local doctor in the Netherlands uh had basically sent me there and went to so the emergency department and it was admitted. And then, yeah, it was a uh, an extraordinary time from going, yeah, from a healthy, independent, self-reliant, middle-aged guy to being completely helpless. Mm -hmm. and lying in a hospital bed, hooked up to IVs, given emergency transfusions, and going through this extraordinary transformational experience of this is what it's like to be helped. Not that I'd never received help previously in my life, but this was a very intense experience and obviously one that I was forced to accept, but I was very much feeling this overwhelming sense of having support and people unconditionally offering you help so obviously not only from my medical team who i have now a newfound utmost respect for those people in that profession doctors nurses paramedics everyone within the care industry but also the amazing sense or the overwhelming sensation i had of people reaching out to support me say they were thinking about me caring whilst i was um whilst i was in hospital and again in this sense of being self-aware it was wow there was clearly it was like a mood boost it was like an energy boost and i actually have described it as being the best medicine out there people showing care and affection and support for you and i then had this penny dropping moment of going, crikey, Ashley! how come for 49 years, you've been essentially rejecting it, essentially going, no, 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 I'm fine. I'll manage. I don't want to be a burden thinking I can handle life by myself. So this was what became this trigger that forced me to realize accepting help not only benefits you, but the other appreciation I had was this realization of people when they're offering help get a feel good buzz out of it. recognise I recognized it in the sense of, well, I can remember specific instances of people visiting me in hospital, taking their time out of their work day. Uh, the, the, the energy that they had, or that was created us between us whilst they were there. It was like a strange to say it, but a sort of happy experience, um, all the way through to gestures of traditional support that you have when you're sick, where people go, all right, can I give you a lift to hospital? Can I drop around some food? Do you need any medicine? And this, there was this historical reticence in either asking for it or accepting those offers. But the feeling I had it was pretty obvious that they were either saying this is absolutely no bother or genuinely it's my pleasure. Mm. And we, we often use that phrase a little bit in a throwaway sense, but actually when people say it, you know, it's going to come from a space of like, yeah, I'm trying to communicate, trying to tell you that this is something I'm enjoying doing.
1: Do you think that reticence to ask for help came from that your childhood and being independent and self-reliant yeah 100% and
0: this is where also it sounds strange to say it but i've been i was grateful for and have been ever since this period that has encouraged this reflection plus the enforced should we say sense of life slowing down and shrinking to the point where you are incredibly Focused on your own situation, your own recovery and recognizing those ways in which are going to, that they're going to support you in your recovery. And okay, so there are clearly some behaviors or characteristics that I have historically had that aren't going to support me, but also as I say, having that period of reflection often during sleepless nights, go through chemotherapy, you know, you're lost in your own mind and having the chance to give it a lot of thought to then go to places that perhaps you never really allowed yourself to go to mm-hmm. before, such as, and as I say, I talk about it in my own podcast, this sense of I realize where this self-sabotaging to a certain extent characteristic has come from.
1: Mm. So that realization in terms of your own behavior, but also the recognition in others of the value that they derive from offering help and support and kindness. I mean, that's something that many people would just be an observation. And then you recover, um, from your condition, you get out of hospital and, and so get back in the bike saddle and carry on in life, leave yeah. it behind. But you haven't, you, you've made this. A, a life-defining, life-changing event, and you're on a mission now to change the way people perceive um help, both in terms of asking and giving, and the values, as we say, they derive from it. Could you explain this, a bit more about that mission that you're on? Yeah. Look it, and, I mean, and, and, and maybe why you didn't just get back in the saddle, so to speak. Yeah. Um Look, I think it's come
0: from, I think it's easier to start with the why.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And apart from this sense of curiosity that I've always had, I've recognized in myself, there's this spirit of wanting to help others, support others to fulfill their potential. I've always had this belief that everyone has a gift, has a talent, and it can change, not necessarily the world, but certainly the people in their world. So realizing the experience that I've been through, that it was so intense, so profound, so life enhancing to the point of realizing this wasn't just something that benefited me during a one particular phase in my life. I realized that this could actually really boost all aspects of my life. That there's, I think we all have this selfless nature to help others. So I was driven by this spirit of, wow, if this is how it's changing and changed me, and it's to a certain extent free, it's just going to take more a sense of self-awareness, realization, motivation, then it it was like a no-brainer of going, I want to share this. And it's been a very organic, iterative journey of I never sort of woke up one morning in hospital thought, right, this is my now mission to encourage people to be more help receivers and help rejectors. It was very iterative to the point of I started sharing my journey through video updates. And it started in hospital. It was a way to communicate and keep everyone up to date. I was quite overwhelmed by, as I say, the the number of messages and support, I'm waking up each morning to like 40, 50 WhatsApp. And there's part of me going, I really want to reply to each one, you know, individually. But, you know, I've got zero energy. Uh, I also hate texting and apping. Mm-hmm. So I defaulted to, right, well, I'll just record a video, two, three minutes, which is just the latest update. And I can keep people informed and recognize their support and reach out and this then i got uh amazing feedback as to ash this was a wonderful way to be a partner on your journey or just to be understanding what you're going through they were giving me this wonderful compliments on it, it just felt very relatable it felt like you were talking directly to me not one to many and um, but where were you publishing these videos it was just purely to a broadcast list on whatsapp oh, I so see yeah uh yeah, that's how it started. But this then encouraged this, as I say, iterative organic journey of coming out of hospital and then a few weeks and months down the track. It became my go-to way to keep a my, let's say, wider circle of friends and family, colleagues up to date because I wasn't going to be able to have a, a conversation with everybody, but every everyone was really interested. And yeah, I was getting a wonderful sense of support and motivation to share my story since it seemed to be impacting, inspiring people in a really positive way that then evolved to, well, what's a way in which I can do this beyond my inner circle, which is then the way that this became a, well, the first step of this whole project was to start a podcast. Called The Gift of Help. Called The Gift of Help express that way to try and encapsulate actually accepting help is a gift and uh, asking and being asked for help is a gift. So there's this wonderful mutual exchange where both people are experiencing a gift.
1: Mm-hmm. I think when we first were introduced by our mutual friend Samantha Webb, um, I think I explained a previous guest uh, wonderful Math Pots of Camerados, uh explained to me he said the only two things people need in life are community uh, and uh, purpose. He said when you meet someone that's struggling, you don't ask them to help them. You ask them to help you. Because when you do that, you engage a part of their brain that takes them out of their sense of, sort of helplessness and loss and a sense of lacking value. And you switch on the receptors in their brain, which is problem solving. Uh, and he said it triggers an um, incredible Transformation in that, in that person. So I think, you know, that's just a validation for me of what you're doing. And, you know, I'd not thought about help as a gift, but when I connect it with what math says, um, and his whole camaradas, so sort of ethos, it sort of really does make sense that particularly in the world that we're living in today, where so many people are struggling. So. Could you just um, give a little um, overview of the podcast and where you are with it?
0: Yeah, so as I say, it's become a very organic process. The, the first episode was a way to share my story, and I was very conscious of the original concep- conception behind the podcast was to share inspiring, relatable stories. Since we as human beings get, well, we're so much engaged when we appeal to emotion and we tell people stories. And then also to bring about a conversation about the topic of help and talk about it from a very personal experience. And what I had as a format for mine and my story that then has been taken on for future episodes was some life event has triggered a change to your attitude towards help. Mm -hmm. So through whatever life event story We then talk about the experience of how that event has changed your attitude towards help. And then I've been very conscious of also trying to make it as practical as possible. So each episode, try to capture some of the insights around what potential tips, tricks, hacks that could be, that has been effective for. I talk about it from my perspective from the first episode, but then future episodes is from the guests that I've invited on to then talk about their own, either their own experience or they might have pulled on other self-help or personal development or other types of content out there that really provide like a toolkit for uh this ambition to change your own mindset. So the overall goal from the podcast when it started was... Get people to engage with the topic via relatable stories. And when we talk about life events, that seems to be a very powerful way to do that because there's a lot of emotion involved. And then get into hopefully inspiring and relatable content that triggers people's imagination and curiosity and then ultimately self-awareness about their own attitude towards help. And in the ideal sense, it's to talk to those people that go, yeah, okay, I do that. And yeah, probably does help if I can change that, you know, I'm fine attitude with simple, relatable, accessible tips and tricks. So So, what would
1: be some of these accessible tips and tricks? Okay. One,
0: I'll talk about it from personal experience.
1: Yeah,
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it's it's called this concept of over-empathizing. So you held yourself back from asking for help because you've imagined the burden effort time etc it's going to take for that person to offer that help you're asking for and the overwhelming experience i've had is that we dramatize it way beyond our narrative mm-hmm. and the reality which is why i've talked about it in this whole concept of a gift is actually it doesn't actually it doesn't represent a burdensome task actually Represents a uh, opportunity to to help someone they care for and experience some joy. Um, so one is try to not have that voice in your head and go, "Oh my god, no!" That if they offer me a lift, what happens if they get stuck mm-hmm. in rush hour and they're going to be super irritated or late? And another tip would just be to start small. So even from the the real micro of when someone says, "Can I get you a cup of coffee?" I often joke about my dad, often in these scenarios will go, well, if you're making one, I'm like, this is not conditional <laughs> on whether I'm making one. I'd love to get you a cup of coffee or other things that people might, listeners might relate to is I recognize, you know, if you have people over for dinner at the end of dinner, people go, oh, can I help clear up? And often there's this mentality of going, no, 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 don't worry. It's like you're a guest or, you know, relax. And yet there's, most likely, from the guest's perspective, actually, I want to help clear up. It's my way of saying thanks. You made an amazing meal. So, starting with those micro, smaller gestures, in the spirit of habit forming, we know the tiny habits help create the bigger habits.
1: There will be a couple. Mm. I mean, I suppose as well that we're, as you say, we're hardwired in, our, in, in conditioned as humans from, I suppose. Being hunter gatherer communities of having to look after each other. Yet the world that we've lived in, and to reference another ex guest, John Alexander, that we live now in this consumer story, which we're conditioned to think that we are all independent and that we, we are all personally responsible for crafting our own journey success. And it's all about the sense of self rather than the sense of uh, community, or as he would say, the, this, We've lost sight of the citizens that we are, the citizen story that we all are there to collaborate with each other and support each other. And you're in a way, it's interesting that you, you said you studied psychology and this is almost like a psychological hack that you, uh, you've uncovered that we've maybe just lost sight of the, the, the power of help. I, serendipity is something that, I'm. I've talked a lot about in this podcast and serendipity seems to have played a fairly Aside from the serendipity of, of ending up in hospital um, on chemotherapy, there's also another sort of serendipitous moment uh, in your life where you incurred, encountered um, Simon Sinek and, and, and how you're now asked for his help. So perhaps yeah. you could uh, maybe just discuss that. Yeah, it's like you say,
0: Mark, this encounter is a beautiful, perfect example of look what happens, look what amazing things happen when you ask for help um so a brief bit of background to put the serendipitous context around this is yeah over the past few months having started the podcast I've been in this space of wanting to take this beyond being a passion project and trying to scale it to have as wide a possible impact as possible and i've had many ideas of what the ways that that might happen write a book do a ted talk um start a course beyond the podcast and the other bit of context around this is that as a a founder I start I run my own brand consultancy I I've admired and followed Simon Sinek for a (laughs) long time plus uh, I've followed and uh, I'm a big fan of his podcast um particularly um when it started during COVID it was a real shot in the arm so in my mind Consciously or subconsciously, I had Simon Sinek would be one of the top three people I would want, I would love to manifest an, an encounter with. So about a month ago, I had this extraordinary experience of where I'm standing in the departures building of the Eurostar in London, waiting to get on a train to Amsterdam. And then in the corner of my eye, I see Simon Sinek. And I'm like, this is this is
1: extraordinary.
0: (laughs) I I, I was on the phone to my brother at the time. Topically, he called me to ask for help because he was going through some real big challenges in his life. And then it got to a point I was experiencing this little bit of tension of going, right, I'm there for my brother. He needs my help. But Simon Sinek has literally just appeared in my world. So it gets to a point where I have to be honest and say this to my brother. And he was just wonderfully generous and went, look, really appreciate your time helping me out, but you've got to take advantage of this serendipitous opportunity. So I summed up the courage and really tried to say, get over yourself, whatever those classic blockers that we all experience, whether it's imposter syndrome or, you know, why would he talk to me? Mm -hmm. What am I going to say? I went up to him and introduced myself in a very, I felt, authentic way of saying, I really admire your work. I have been working in branding for a long time. I also follow your podcast, which genuinely was a real shot in the arm. And I just wanted to say, you know, thank you. And he was incredibly yeah, gracious and asked my name. And then we walked up the travelator and he gets on at one end of the train and I realize I'm literally at the complete opposite end of the train. And I sit on the train for four hours going, this is ridiculous. He's literally, we're on the same train. If there's one person I'd love to sit and talk to for a while about this topic, it'll be Simon Sinek. I know he's very passionate about it. He talks about it a lot in his podcast in the context of it being an honor when someone asks for help.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And... I'm thinking, right, how do I further engineer this random collision, this Mm. serendipitous encounter? So I actually walked the full length of the train to see if we could engineer another random encounter, find out he's actually sitting at the very far end of the train in the very last row of seats, and I'm thinking that this is too invasive. I can't Mm. disturb him. He's with his partner. He's got his AirPods in. So I go back with my sort of tail between my legs to the other end of the train, and then okay, thought right there I I still need to take advantage of this. So as we're pulling into Amsterdam uh, Central platform, I actually wheel my pilot bag the full length of the train and just position myself at the exit one down from his. Get off the train, and lo and behold, he catches my eye, says. Hi, Ashley. And I'm able to restart the conversation. Now, meantime, I'd actually thought to myself, Ashley, you've got to practice what you preach. So if you're going to start this conversation again, what is my ask to make this as um, yeah easy for him to accept? And we'd had a, basically a few minutes for me to engage him on my, my backstory and the topic and introduce some sort of phrases and themes that I know he talks about in his podcast. And in the end, I asked him and said, look, I've started by this podcast. I really love your feedback. Can I share the trailer with you? And I'd love to hear your thoughts. And yeah, he basically gave me the email email address of, of his assistant. He said, give me a couple of weeks and I'll get back to you. So I left that encounter, that experience, one feeling incredibly proud of myself of going, Ash, well done. Practice what you preach. You asked for help. You made it specific and lo and behold, serendipity, the universe, whatever you want to call it, has delivered an opportunity that still took some further work and pursue. And I wrote to his assistant again, reminding myself, Ash, you need to be very specific here. You know, what's the ask? Make it easy for him to accept your request and basically said, I'd really love your perspective on, am I onto something? Knowing that you are in that world of coming up with ideas, turning them to concepts, creating movements. This is my mm-hmm. ambition. And if you think I'm onto something, some, I'd love your advice on how to scale this up because there are numerous ways I can take this. And yeah, two weeks later, I hear back from his assistant. He, she says, look, I'm, uh, pleased to say that Simon's super happy to jump on a call with you. How about whatever on the Thursday and also. If you're interested in creating an online course for our optimism library, I'll put you in touch with our head of content, which became a lovely representation of I wasn't defining the success of this encounter on a certain outcome. I was just allowing serendipity and being what we talk about, you know, the destination, not the, sorry, the journey, not the destination of this mm-hmm. encounter and some amazing unexpected opportunity came out of it. And I've had the half an hour call with him. He gave some great advice, and now, yeah, we're looking at and I'm working on this online course to potentially be part of his online library, but then also something I can then use as a as a tool well, not a tool, but something to help people master the art of asking for help um beyond his own distribution platform and within my own network and and beyond,
1: wow, yeah. That um, was my reaction. But, yeah. And clearly it's needed. Um, I mean, I thought, um, when I was sort of, um, thinking about the questions, I thought, well, why don't I, why don't I ask chat GPT, um, about this and see what it's got to say. Yeah. So I actually sort of went in and put a prompt in and said, why do people, why do people not ask for help? And, and it, and it spat out a huge list and reasons why from pride, fear of judgment cultural and social norms, past negative experiences, fear, vulnerability, lack of awareness, independence and autonomy, concerns about uh, burdening others, something you talked about earlier, uh, belief that no one can understand or help, shame, uh, logistical barriers, mistrust of helpers or institutions. Um, And it also said it's essential to approach individuals with compassion and understanding, recognizing that the resistance to seeking help is multifaceted. When supporting someone who might need assistance, it can be beneficial to validate their feelings, uh, offer non-judgmental listening, provide information and resources in a non-pushy manner. Now, gracious, which was incredible. Um, and yeah, you, you're now, as you say, you're creating this course, you're continuing with the podcast. It is, when you really start to peel it back and think about it, it is a massive cultural sort of challenge because we are we've been conditioned to think about the the, the importance of self reliance, um, and the pride and in feeling that you're good enough. But particularly in Western culture as well, I suppose it's a very machismo, macho thing as well. It probably applies not just in Western culture but in other sort of male-dominated um dominated sort of traditional societies. So changing people's perceptions of asking help um, from a burden to a gift to others is, isn't, isn't going to change overnight. Yeah, What's been the reaction that you've had so far? And and, and what do you see this and the, the challenges that lie ahead? What do you see as the challenges that lie ahead? Yeah, it's a good question.
0: The reaction I've had so far has been extraordinarily positive. In if, if I reflect back, ever since I've started... This passion project and trying to scale it up. It's, I get motivated by the fact that every conversation I have about the topic is really inspiring, perspective giving, connecting. It triggers the imagination, which reassures me that this is something that is a universal topic. You know, it, it touches every one of us. So that was, that's really given me the energy to go, right. This isn't just a hunch. This is something that has the potential to impact so many people on so many facets. Now, yes, I'm have wild ambitions to have a positive impact, you know, globally, all parts of society. But I mean, to try and start with, you know, the proverb of, you know, the journey starts with the first step, having started with. The podcast and done it as a passion project this isn't my livelihood the The feedback I've had is been incredibly reassuring and encouraging to the point of either people say they recognize themselves in this and not necessarily thought about it in that way to, to your point as like this recognition of it being a gift and or the even more comforting and, and reassuring feedback around examples of where they've taken on that self-awareness or that insight and started to address it. So starting, okay, ground level, it's enough of a reassurance to me that if the individuals are starting to recognize this, if individuals are starting to take this on board for themselves and make tiny changes or experience instances where this has turned out differently than they imagined without this insight or self-awareness. It's giving me enough reassurance and hope that this can, from the ground up, from the bottom up, start to have a real positive impact. And the last thing I'd say on this point, Mark, is yeah, if it can change a handful of people, then it's worth it yeah uh however i don't want to sound too virtuous and principled there is the ambition to well i don't want it to just be a few people i want it to be as many people as possible and the the layer or the nuance on top that really reassures me that this can be this can spread is it does have a potential contagious nature to it that you know this relies on an exchange and interaction between two people but i'm fascinated about ways in which i can fuel support encourage the the ripple effect the contagion effect the knock on effect
1: yeah yeah you want to create that sort of almost um network effect uh, for adoption the way that tech uh, has done so effectively it might be worth you looking at uh, do you know near uh, uh, near ial yeah yeah if you think about his book hoot how can you apply hoot to, um, help? <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, I'm smiling. I listened to a podcast yesterday that
0: went into that. And actually I listened to it on the bike and I had, uh, this now task, not task. Uh, I will over the weekend re-listen to it mm. and have my lens of my passion project on to then start to extract a lot of, uh, the themes that he talks about. I don't know if that's the right word, serendipity, that you bring yeah. it up. As I literally have, uh, uh, I've come across him before. that yeah, now it's it, it, well, it's interesting you bring this up, Mark, because it's an increasing recognition around this. Mm. To have the possible positive impact on a societal level, it needs to start with the individual. Mm. But for this to in, have behaviour change impact, it relies on habit forming. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's not a one-off experience. It's not, I've completed the course. It's actually this becoming instinctive and habitual, which yeah. then goes into that space of playing to my curiosity around human behavior, psychology. How do we, mo- well, first of all, it starts with sort of self-awareness and mm-hmm. then becomes the motivation
1: to bring about that that habit into your life. I think when you look at it in the context of, what I've discussed in the other interviews with people as well. So we're living in the midst of this meta-crisis, whether it be through climate anxiety, economic, social, technological sort of inequities, um, geopolitical sort of stress, mental health challenges, whether you call it injustice or call it uh, anxiety and stress is affecting us all individually and collectively in society. And uh, as you say, this could be I suppose you could call it an antidote to some of the the anxieties that we're we're experiencing as societies and individuals and communities. Are you seeing any evidence of optimism and hope in the people that you speak to?
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, there's a few anecdotal examples that reassure me that. Well, one, it's more that this is hardwired in us, Mm -hmm. and it just it needs to be triggered or tapped into. Yeah. So those are the sort of reminders are we haven't changed for tens of thousands of years. It's more an opportunity that exists. If there's the individual will and the group will mm-hmm. in terms of other examples, in the macro sense, we've had so many recent, recent examples of when disaster hits, you know, whether it's natural disasters or war or mm-hmm. disease or famine it triggers and brings out the best in humanity nearly every time yeah so it feels as if whatever meta crisis we're going through if these curveballs if these life events um happen it's it, it seems as if there's like a chip change in our, our brain and we mm-hmm. start to go into right well actually we need to help each other We need Mm -hmm. to, you know, collaborate. We need to combine to get through a certain challenging situation. Or even if it's not related to us personally, it's for others. Mm -hmm. Um, so that gives me in general some optimism and hope. Uh, some other references would be we've touched on other cultures that think embrace help more commonly or it's more ingrained, uh, in comparison to Western culture, where it feels like we over-index on celebrating independence. And there's one great example that I love from Japan. There's, I don't know if you're familiar with it, there's this, I think it's been going on for 30 years, a series where each episode shows how children at the age of anything between two and five mm-hmm. are sent on these uh, little shopping errands by their parents and a film crew then follows them as they walk through the streets and end up going to a shop and getting whatever items and coming back but what well, the beautiful example is, is it shows one how as when we are young we have obviously not um nurtured these blockers mm-hmm. so you're there and if you can't reach something or you don't know where something is, you ask someone. But also the willingness and near instinct and obvious nature by which all these adults are in the the shop or along the way immediately helping kids. Mm. And it's just this like wonderful cultural reminder of, yeah, <coughs> th- this this happens and, and we can tap into it if we just recognize it. And we're not like head down and we need to be independent. And to actually, yeah, there's an instinct and a joy from helping others. So from that cultural perspective, that, that gives me hope that, you know, Japan can't be the only country that is exclusively going to be uh, having help as a, uh, an integral part of their culture. And that the, the last example I would give is I feel like there's, Some of the world's like leading forward thinking companies are trying to embrace this, whether it's explicit or implicit help culture into their, into their workplace. So I could talk about, uh, like Google and their, uh, project Aristotle, where they've studied the traits of their most successful teams Mm -hmm. and found that, uh, with psychological safety. So. Basically covering that, that concept, which includes the ability to ask for and accept help without mm. the fear of judgment has been one of the most important factors that have drive driven success. So it's sort of evidence of like teams that foster an environment where help has really given and accepted, um, helps them outperform other teams that don't. Mm. So there's hope we've still got a long way to go, but those are examples that. Yeah, give me cause for
1: optimism. And you're still at the beginning of your journey. Um it's only a year and a bit since you were in found yourself in hospital. What's your ambition for the next ten years, twenty thirty and beyond? Yeah. Um given you've got a day job as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well,
0: I'll be honest, Mark, this is my ambition, is this becomes my livelihood as to how yeah. whatever nature, shape or form I would love to be able to dedicate my life to this. How it looks in 10 years time, it, it's, it's a concept that I not necessarily struggle with, but it's more like if I nearly practice what I might preach with my clients, I'd be like, right, focus on what's the next key step. You know, three years down the line is a bit academic. You know, let's get that online course produced. Let's get some traction. But in the most broad conceptual level, in, if we look at it as to, yeah five, 10 years down the track. Conceptually, I would love it that the whole concept of accepting and offering help would be as palatable as the way you accept and offer a gift. Like you never say no. You're like, Mark, it's your birthday. I'll get his, his, uh, you know, bottle of wine. You're not going to go, no, 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 no. You <laughs> know, you'd be like, yeah, of course. He'd be like Oh, can I buy you a gift for your birthday? No, 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 no. But I'd love to. So trying to it would be wonderful if that then exists as as a way to just make it more commonplace and instinctive as an exchange between two human beings. On a more practical level, Mark, it would be two ways of it perhaps becoming more imbued in our sort of, in our rhetoric and our conversation of like, you know, oh, let me help you. Can I help you? Ah, uh, you would be always saying, being grateful for and making a point of being grateful for that offer, for help. Mm -hmm. And then the other dimension would be if I had a bit of a, not necessarily a dream, but to put it into a tangible sense, there will be some hack or some tool that is either just by language or something through technology that is just widely known about, that is this support for empowering people. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It might be something to do with having some form of like help coach as an app on your mobile. So you've got like a help coach in your pocket. So that would be Blue Sky taking it into, yeah, wider
1: global type ambitions. Okay. Well, it does beg the next question, which is for what help would you like to ask for? Well, I suppose the, the stage I'm at
0: now is trying to scale this and trying Mm -hmm. to have a bigger impact, recognizing I can't do this by myself. So I I need to ask for help. So the point I'm at now is really looking for partners to to join me. So it would be people, organizations who have a vested interest in empowering us all to embrace help. Mm -hmm. And there'll sort of be two dimensions around that. It'll either be the science behind help. So people organizations or companies that have a vested interest in trying to understand more about the blockers and the tools to unblock them so speaking to the the experts in in fields of neuroscience psychology um workplace environments so getting the science behind that chat gpt response Mm -hmm. and then i'd also love to be partnering with those people or organizations that can provide the evidence as to the positive impact. Mm -hmm. So to to encourage people to realize that there are massively life-enhancing benefits to embracing help. So potentially organizations or companies that might want to pilot programs to show how implementing this is going to improve people's livelihoods. This could be at work, in just local communities, areas of mental health, education, sport. Because I realized to get the traction on this, I need the, the science mm-hmm. to show that this is what the, the challenge is, overcoming those blockers. And then the motivation would be around evidencing this as actually having a positive impact on people's livelihoods. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, people that could uh, help in that space have expertise or the resource or the will and the funds to mm-hmm. to take me to that so that that next level would be massively appreciated
1: okay well hopefully someone will hear this and uh and reach out just one of the final few questions having gone through what you've gone through many people would have um not taken that step that you took with Simon Sinek many people would have just uh got, gone back into their day job and normal life it it's presumably been quite challenging how do you have you remained resolute and resilient
0: the response i've had to sharing my story both in terms of the, the health journey but now the the ambition i've had i now have with uh, with the gift of help and how people seem to be massively engaged and inspired not just with the the project I have, but just being, just talking about it. So mm-hmm. it's nearly like an energy giver that every time that I bring this up in conversation, it's not like, oh, two minutes, you know, how's your startup going? It's <laughs> like suddenly you've just gone, like, hold on, we just spent 45 minutes talking about X, Y, Z. So I'm like, that's a, as I say, a huge uh, amount of fuel that keeps me going. And then, the other side is just when I hear examples of where people have taken what they've heard on a podcast or something we've talked about in the context of asking for help or accepting help and it's improved their life in some tiny way or in a much bigger way and it's nearly becoming yeah this joke of like (laughs) yeah yeah so I asked for help as in nudge nudge or you know uh someone actually said oh I'll help you with that you know uh DIY job you've got at home. And I was like, amazing. So just that reinforcing in real life examples of this improving people's lives is is a is huge boost and gives me that sense of I need to keep going.
1: Mm-hmm. This sort of takes us back to the almost the first question where I asked you who you are as a human being. But um I always ask people um what their natural gifts or talents are. And and also, what do people compliment you for? You you said at the beginning about your um your bravery, your curiosity, and sort of challenging convention. Yeah. Um. What would you say looking back now, from where you your life has gone through, mm. and the work that you're doing now? Uh, how would you answer that question?
0: Yeah, I don't know why that always makes me feel a bit uneasy because it's this. I don't know if a British culture of like, yeah to recognize what you're really good at and then talk about. It. But no, the wonderful compliments I have had have centered around this admiration for how I've dealt with life's setbacks. Mm-hmm. And the two biggest ones have been, yeah, losing my mother at, at a young age and my recent health journey. And it is wonderful to hear they people admire me for my, yeah, I've been called positive, vulnerable, Honest, brave, willing to share this and yeah, turning it into a selfless giving back type initiative. And it's wonderful to have those reminders of it's felt a very natural journey for me. It feels like this. Yeah. I'm living out my purpose, but it's not, not done with this sort of conceited, artificially engineered Instagram worthy type uh um motivation, it's just be done. This is incredibly listening to my instincts, you know, my soul. This is what I want to be doing. So that would be, I think, my the greatest compliment I've had recently. And it's been, yeah,
1: hugely fueling for this journey. Could over the last year set out to interview difference makers, domain experts, storytellers. You're a bit of storyteller, you're also now a domain expert and <laughs> And giving help. Um, But also the belief, um, to try and drive the belief that we, it's so important for us all to take action. Because mm-hmm. beliefs and desires can only go so far. We have to take action and we have to do the things that sometimes take us out of our comfort zones. Um, so what actions, however small, can people take to get them to start? What would you recommend? People do to learn from the things you've discussed in this podcast around help. Cause it sounds so easy. I like, just ask for help, but actually recognition as chat GPT, uh, rightly stated the barriers to taking that action pretty significant. Yeah. So yeah. what, what would you, what would you be your recommendations of simple actions people could take today? Um, this feels like such a, timely question mark because i had the
0: conversation with a good friend of mine recently and between the two of us came up with this idea that can help trigger this contagious effect Mm -hmm. and so let me try and explain it it's it's really a, a sort of a take on paying it forward and the way i'd express it would be to a certain extent mobilizing those people that do have the bravery and vulnerability to ask for help to trigger this exchange. So if you ask someone for help, having accepted their offer, ask them to commit to ask for help tomorrow and to tell you about it afterwards. Since this was a wonderful way to identify that a lot of the people who give help Mm -hmm. are most challenged to ask or receive it and this just felt uh, a wonderful way to perhaps trump that instinct and do it in a way using whatever language feels comfortable but i found a phrase such as nothing would melt nothing would make me happier to hear from you mark tomorrow that you asked for help and it's really helped you out in a certain situation big or small and the request for that person so you mark when you've done that and ask for help to then trigger the same exchange so it would be as i say it would be a more uh, selfishly driven pay it forward type technique of asking for help mm. when your help's received make sure and ask the person who is giving you help to commit to doing the same the next day and ask for help themselves And that way, perhaps we can spread this help exchange beyond ourselves. It's almost like a a contractual agreement. But the beauty around it, Mark, is that the contract doesn't just stay in a closed loop, doesn't stay in a closed circle. You're going, right, this contract requires Uh you to go beyond the two of us to the next person. And then you have this chain trigger. So that would be my request or my tip that to recruit all those people who are brave enough to ask for help you can really start to to trigger this ripple effect beyond your own world
1: okay well uh let's do it i'll um uh start practicing that myself well there we go mark so can you do that for me tomorrow yeah there you go i will Awesome. Um, so my, um, ask of you, well, it's, itself, it's a joint one. So my goal with the podcast is to engineer sound of connections and facilitate these random collisions of ideas, which, um, this is a fine example of, uh, thank you, Samantha Webb connection. Um, are you open to us connecting you with other guests, um, based on the belief in the potential value? Absolutely. Well, they could make me more happy. Right. So then that leads to the final question. Who do? i interview next
0: yeah there's someone i've got in mind uh who is a great friend of mine and we've connected uh a lot recently in our friendship it seems to have been taken to another level because of our mutual ambitions to start pro-social campaigns movements Mm -hmm. and her name's caroline arditi she runs her own agency called the sunshine makers written a book uh in french hopefully soon to be released in english and it's called Nu, uh loosely translated that's us which celebrates community tribe and how we can mobilize well first of all attract our like-minded tribe and community to then mobilize amazing positive pro-social impact in the world and i think she would be a fascinating
1: person to have on your show Cool. Well, we'll be following up on that, um, after this podcast drops. Awesome. So, um, well, um, Ashley, sort of, uh, wrapping up. Thank you for your curiosity, challenging the conventions around how we think about help and, uh, your enduring sort of, uh, bravery. Yeah. Bravery and curiosity. I think it's, uh, they're clearly manifest in either your your behavior and the life you're leading. So, uh, all power to you. Well.
0: Thanks so much, Mark. Really enjoyed this conversation.
1: Really appreciate
0: being asked onto the show. And yeah, well, best of luck with the podcast, The Impossible Network. You're doing awesome things and long may that continue.
1: Thank you very much. Okay. 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 That's all for now, folks. Now, here's my ask of you. Please follow this podcast on Apple or Spotify or whatever player you use. Also, please subscribe to our new Random Collisions newsletter. We really are working to build a global community of action takers, action engines of people that really care about the problems that need solving. Thank you very much and see you next time.